So we're One, back. One, two, three, four. Oh, oh, oh. sorry. I just oh. making sure it was recording. Sorry, sorry. I was, there. I was, I was early for once and then I was... <laughs> anyway. So we're back. Natalie's back. I'm back. Tom's back. Well, Tom has always been here. He's never gone away. <laughs> the band is back together. It feels great. I mean, I, and I was there in Monaco. I was, I was lurking around for a few days. What? Anyway, Hang on. I really? I was there, yeah. I was doing, doing some other work, but um, uh, it, was, it was great. I saw you at that gorgeous film premiere. At the film premiere with Stuart about Jackie. And it was a very moving evening, wasn't it? My gosh. And it was for Race Against Dementia. He's done a film, or his son has done the film. Fantastic Mark Stewart production, which goes into some depth about the experience that his dad and his mum had as racing drivers in a rather nasty period of motor racing when lots of their friends died. It was very, very moving. And Sir Jackie was moved to tears as well when he got up afterwards to talk about it and um definitely a must see that's what i went for and also i went for something else but of course it was also possible to to see the cars i went i walked around the track you see so because i was my hotel was up at the top near casino hang on hang on hotel de paris is that where damon hill was staying at the monaco grand prix i was just a bit down the road <laughs> in, a, in a in somewhere in, in, in a lesser hotel and so i had I, it, it, but it, it's a mind-blowing place. I mean, it's just bursting at the seams with boats and yachts and cars and people in incredibly expensive clothes. And it was a show. I mean, it was it's, it's an amazing show. And now they're talking about not having it. But, Unthinkable. Uh, I know it's typical that, you know, the race can become processional. But my God, what a show. Q3 at Monaco is one of the highlights of my Formula One season. I get more excited about that than almost anything else. I agree. Did I, did I mention I have had pole position <laughs> yeah. at Monaco? Tell us about the win you had at Monaco. <laughs> Stop it. That was unfair. That was unkind. That was very unkind. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to F1 Nation. Damon Hill, Tom Clarkson and me, Natalie Pinkham. the Azerbaijan preview everybody by the way but we will just reflect on Monaco because we didn't get Damon's thoughts there's a there's a very neat segue provided by a Mexican driver but yeah. we'll get to that <laughs> very good indeed <laughs> but why is it that in Q3 for the last two years we've had it broken by drivers crashing because they're pushing as well don't forget the last run you got you got to get one in the bag for monica you know you need one so the first run is really important so everyone concentrates and does goes as fast as they can without crashing and then the last run is it doesn't matter if you crash you just you know you might just get pole position or you crash you know so yeah they're they're, they're over the limit on the last yeah. run and then we go on to the race in monaco damon what did you make of ferrari's performance uh, tragic, really, wasn't it? I mean, it was, it was, how can you lose the race with two cars to choose from on the front? But of course, the weather, you just throw the weather in any race in Formula One and all bets are off, aren't they? Something is going to happen. Someone's going to trip over themselves. But yeah, so I wanted to sit down with Hannah Schmidt and work out how the hell they managed to stop three times. How did you do that and come out in the lead? Hannah, Hannah being the strategist at Red Bull. I beg your pardon. Yeah, so what a complex calculation that is. David Ferrari threw it away, though. When, when you think that the undercut was always going to be powerful when you're changing onto a fresh intermediate in those conditions, the slick tyre was always going to take longer to warm up in those conditions. So the moment they pitted Charles Leclerc, 
they gave the race away. What seems to happen is that there's there's a kind of confusion sometimes between strategists and the drivers and it's like there's no clear line of command so i mean when when carlos was asked to come in he was going no i don't want to go i want to go straight onto slicks i want to keep going until i get to the slick time and then i want slicks and so he was giving some clear indication from the track to the race strategists and i think that in um charles's case it, it was it was you know sometimes you can be waiting for the strategist to tell you what to do um and they gave him mixed message as well when he was when it was time to come in um so you know, it, it, this this business of who decides when you have track conditions that are marginal and changing so fast i mean i was looking at the track and i'm going why are they not going on to slicks now it was most of the track was dry uh, a pet except for the last bit around Raskas. but i'm i'm not in a, a modern formula one car but i mean it did look to me like you could have got away with slicks a lot earlier we've talked a lot about monaco but it is of course the Azerbaijan Grand Prix this coming weekend. Who won Monaco last weekend and who won Baku last year? Yeah, see, that, that's, that's a curious thing, isn't it? This championship is turning into a fascinating kind of moving feast uh, and all bets are off, I think, all predictions are off because things happen that are, you know, you're not on, on paper, you'd say, that go to Monaco, Max Verstappen would be quick and Sergio would be probably up there with the Friars maybe in the mix, but no. Sergio's up there ahead of Max Verstappen. And now we're going to a race where, okay, he did luck a little bit in last year at Baku. Um, but nevertheless, that's where he won. And he's always been quick in Baku, hasn't he? Yes, but I would jump in at that point and say, the worst thing you can do going into Baku is predict what's going to happen in Baku. Exactly. It is it's one of those, isn't it, Natalie? I mean, it is a track which has got jeopardy and all kinds of curious things happening, um, you know, cut tires exploding hopefully we won't have that again but uh it's a place where a lot of a lot of opportunity to make mistakes charles famously stacked it didn't he in, in qualifying um a few years back and we've had a different winner at every race obviously you didn't have one in 2020 but a rare thing isn't it that uh no no one on the current grid has won it twice i mean i know we've only been there five or six years but still but that all said sergio just signed a new two-year extra extension to his contract one monaco uh, looking on the form of his life, going to a track he won at last year. I mean, what is going to happen? What is going to happen if they have to make a decision between him and Max in terms of track position? And because he because he he is in the hunt for this world championship. He is really good at Baku. It's these short ninety degree corners that Checo always goes well at, and he's he's been quicker than his teammates pretty much every time he's been there okay max out qualified him last year but he was he was only race six of his red bull career then i think it's a very real problem that they're going to face this weekend and you know it's interesting when you see that jos verstappen came out with some pretty sharp comments after the monaco grand prix didn't he uh, on max's website as well it wasn't just some off-the-cuff remark to a tv station it was actually written on max's website saying we gave away what was it 10 points and interesting that he's saying that now. He's thinking strategically he has to get this in now to put some pressure on the team because this situation may well rise again very soon, as in this weekend. Yeah, but they just they just signed up Sergio for another... He's not going anywhere, is he, for a, for a bit? I'm quite surprised at some of the things they've said. You know, I think that uh, Red Bull can be quite a confusing 
team for with when they have two guys who can be in contention i think it can they somehow seem to leave one side feeling left out and the other side feeling favored and um and you get this the friction we had it a lot with in, in the past with uh, with Seb and Danny Ricardo, Mark and, Webber, uh, and with Mark Webber, Mark Webber as well, and it, so you, I watch this space. <laughs> I think um, you know Max is there; he is their uh, ace card, I think, and everyone's seen it that way. But he's quite often said things which are being harsh and quite critical of the team, um, to the extent where he's accusing them of of ruining his championship, rather than saying uh, it's a problem we've got and we'll I'm sure they'll fix it because we're a team we're all one we fight and lose as one that doesn't hasn't come out of his mouth yet I don't think I wonder what lessons Red Bull learnt during the, you know, the friction that they had with, with Vettel and Weber and Ricardo and Verstappen in that you know have they since then always had it written in a contract that someone is the number one and someone is the number two and this is what is expected of you because if you leave it open you're leaving yourselves open for just more grief down the line, aren't you? Well, it's it's a it's a big issue with any team if they're in contention for the world championship. I mean, nor, ordinary most teams are kind of fighting to get to the front. But when they get to the front and they've got a chance with two drivers to win the world championship, then they've got a problem. And favoring whether you tactically as a team should favor one driver, the driver with the most points. I mean, if you were doing it as a um, purely strategic. Um, mathematical point you say give the points the most points to the driver with the most points and that that driver will then extend his lead over your rivals it being the Ferraris but you can't do that too soon because people say that's unfair and and quite well, right, also quite if you too. get a couple of DNFs as we've already seen suddenly mm. the driver you favored is out of contention and you've fallen between two stools yeah so uh, this is this is where we need a, um, a game theorist to help us out with this one do you, are you better to let it unfold and just see who comes out past halfway with most points or or do you start favouring before you get or, there? Or, or do you before a race say, right, whoever is in front, what is it? It's a fifth, What is it, a 51 lap race or something? Whoever's in front by lap 40, do not change position and just leave it like that. And if Max is second, good luck with that. <laughs> good luck with that one. Or even Sergio, I might say, you know, he, he, he's, he's no shrinking That's violet. True. Yeah. But I mean, is that is that a potential solution, or are you just leaving yourself open? I, I immediately think of Senna and Prost at Imola in 1989, and and of course the relationship unraveling after that. Yes, it's happened quite a few times in the past, and I mean Nico and and Lewis as well was quite feisty. The tidiest way to keep it as you want it is is to have that troublesome pit stop, isn't it? But I feel, you know, I think to sort of put that on the mechanics. Given that you know they, the the pit stops are shared between the two crews, have you ever spoken, Tom, to a mechanic who has admitted that they deliberately fumbled a pit stop? Well, no, but that's I'm actually agreeing with you, saying I think it's a it's a horrible thing to have to ask the mechanics to do, and how you go about doing that as well. You know, you, the front jack man just doesn't get out of the way for a couple of seconds. Is that how you do it? I don't know, but he sort of saunters out from the garage with a with a, with a cigarette and a cup of tea. <laughs> If we agree that's not the way to do it, then you're in 
it's going to happen on track, isn't it? And, you, and you're potentially going to see your two cars coming together. Well, of course, we're not, another Baku reference here is when Daniel Ricciardo colliding with Max uh, there and then deciding that he was going to go to another team after that because he didn't feel like he was getting the reception and the, uh, the, his excuses were not met with so much sympathy as he thought he should have. But while we're talking about this intra-team rivalry at, at um, Red Bull, I mean... I think, are we now at the point where we can see the shape of this world championship in terms of who is actually going to be battling for the drivers' championship when we get to the last race? Because really, tell me if I'm wrong, there's only two cars cars in it, Red Bull and Ferrari. So I think we're down to four yeah. drivers already. And Carlos is having, he had a better run of it, of course, in, in Monaco, but he's had a he's had a difficult time of it to the extent that he's, what, 45 points behind Max Verstappen now. So are we talking about a three-horse race already, both Red Bulls and Charles Leclerc? I think it's still all up for grabs. You know, there's been so much unreliability, hasn't there? I mean, there have been only in Spain when Charles Charles was going to have that race and he had a mechanical failure and, and uh, you know, we've had... Obviously, Carlos has thrown a, thrown a lot of points away by mistakes on his own side, but maybe he'll fix that. Um but I, I mean, have a look at Max being 46 <laughs> points behind at one stage and now he's in the lead again. Very good point. So, exactly. you know, Carlos yeah. being 45 points behind, he's not out of the reckoning either. So, but, OK, so we're talking about four drivers if we think Carlos is still in it, because although Mercedes are third in the Constructors' Championship, it seems to me that their W13 is so inconsistent and struggles actually through the slower speed corners. So I think they're going to have another difficult weekend in Baku as well. So really it's Ferrari Ferrari versus versus Red Bull, isn't it? Oh, it is, definitely. I mean, I mean, with, with barring a miracle with um, Mercedes and they, they find yet another chunk of time from somewhere, um, you know, I think they're out of it. But, um, you know, it, it really would take a bit of a, a miraculous turnaround for them to be back in the fight. And if it's difficult for Christian Horner to know which of his two guys... Uh, to support at Red Bull, I think it's pretty clear now who Ferrari have to back, isn't it? Mm. I I would say they would still be thinking in terms of Max in Red Bull and also Charles in Ferrari as their title contender because Charles's form has been fantastic. Um, you know, Max has only had one real blip on that score. Well, don't forget he was out qualified in Saudi by by Sergio as well. So and we're going to attract very like Saudi Arabia with Baku as well. So it could be that the Max has got a problem with the Red Bull setup and and Monaco as well, and that so the form thing may not be so clear with Red Bull as it is with with Ferrari. And of course, Ferrari have come out in the last week saying that with the budget cap, their uh, next um, upgrades aren't going to be due until Silverstone. So they're going to. It's it's a very different um, development path that the teams are having to take this year, isn't it? You know, in the past, they've always said you have to bring, on average, a tenth to every single race. Otherwise, you're going backwards. Whereas now, they're having to wait four or five races before bringing their next upgrade because there isn't the budget available to manufacture and yeah. develop so many new parts. And They have to be so tactical, so discerning with every bit that they bring and very smart as to when they introduce it. I mean, I heard Christian talking a week or so ago about just how brutal this development race is due to the budget cap and the fact that 
there'll be a number of teams that simply won't be able to take part in the last few races of the season. I mean, is that, well, is that even Pinks, possible? Uh, Fred Vasser, the boss of um, Alfa Romeo, was asked that question in Monaco. And Your birthday, my birthday twin. twin. Exactly. And he said, of course, we're going to make it to the end of the season. If we're running out of budget, we'll just turn the wind tunnel off for a, a few weeks. So there are ways of making it. And he thinks for the big teams to be uh, complaining like that is disingenuous yeah it's, it seems like the teams with a with a higher ceiling for them uh, aren't complaining and the teams with a massively close other massively closer uh, uh, whinging like ferrari uh, i can't see either of those not turning up to a grand prix also mattia bonotto said in monaco that you know the original budget cap was going to be 175 million and he said look if we if we'd stuck to the original budget cap we wouldn't even be discussing this is what mattia said when I think they would because they would be going right up to that 175, wouldn't they? And then with all the inflationary pressure, pressures we're under now, they would still be talking about needing an increase. Well, we talked a bit about the quirkiness of Baku already. And actually a moment that sticks in my mind was the uncharacteristic mistake of our seven-time world champion, Lewis Hamilton, with that funny little magic button. Well, not so magic in that moment. At the restart. Oh. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before or since, have we? Pinks, it was mad. Do you remember? So him and Perez, two lap race after that Max... That was cool, actually. <laughs> that was really exciting. After Max it? had hit the barrier, do you remember? Uh, after his tyre had let go. And I remember there was that head-on shot and you could see the, the brakes on Lewis's car smoking. And I remember thinking, oh, that seems to be more than normal. And then he gets away and then doesn't brake runs wide and he comes out 18th or something from the first corner i mean i don't know what you were thinking i was thinking two laps to go my money's on lewis hamilton even though he was second on that particular grid and yet he let it go yeah so how do we think they're going to fare this weekend i mean i'm hearing people say suggest that they're not going to take a major step forward until silverstone that perhaps it's that kind of circuit that will really suit their car but george russell is the only driver to be in the points at every single race of 2022. He's had a great season so far. I always worry about <clears throat> statistics like that because uh, sooner or later it changes. Um, but um, All right, Misery Guts. I don't, well, I'm just warning you. I've, I've, you know, it's luck can only go... So, but not saying it's all down well, to luck. Cause he's done, a, he's, done a great, he's done a great job, yeah. But, um, you know, reliability and all sorts of things happening, especially when you've got a track like Baku, but... Let's say let's say George has another fantastic run. Um, he, is he going to win the race? That's the question we're trying to find out the answer to. And I'm I'm be very surprised if they don't go down that straight and be bouncing up and down like a flipping you know thing on a pogo stick, um, <laughs> with their you know with their heads being smashed and their spines getting compressed and all that business. I, I don't know. I might well, be wrong. Mercedes are trying to put a lid on expectations, saying that the slow speed nature of the corners in Baku will not suit their car. So if you combine that with the mm. pogo stick well, down that two kilometer straight. Yeah. So if you say that most of the corners are slow in, in Baku, then you basically got Monaco with a massive long straight, haven't you? Yeah. And, and yeah. let's say that the, you know, Mercedes didn't do that great there. Um, but Baku's proved in the past that you just got to be there at the end and you can get a result. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a jeopardy city, isn't it? I mean, it, things go all, going off all over the place. You know, you cannot get all those cars through that little castle section, can you? At the start of the race, I mean, it's it's really really tight. It's great fun to watch, but it's it must be. I mean, that bit where they come out of 
in qualifying, when the, the sun's going down, they come around that corner where the castle is, and then they got the sun right in their eyes. Uh, you can see it on the onboard camera. It must be really difficult. Yep. To Little dart uphill, left-hander. Pinks, how was, how was Lewis when you spoke to him after the race in Monaco? Because he's now 34 points behind Russell, and he's had a lot of bad luck. Did you sense any frustration from the champ? I, I asked him that because I wanted to know a, how frustrated he was for getting stuck behind the Alpines, and B, what he could have done had he not been stuck behind the Alpines. I told you, didn't I, that Alonso couldn't have enjoyed it more. He said, oh, that was so much fun, keeping Lewis behind. And actually, Lewis seemed pretty chilled about it. He said, nah, it didn't frustrate me that much. Impossible to know how fast we could have been. But... I I still believe there is going to be a moment where their season starts in earnest. And hopefully, for their sake, it's soon. And it's almost like the penny will drop, something will click, they'll find the key, the silver bullet, whatever you want to call it. I really feel there's just a key that will unlock the potential of that car and suddenly they'll be able to compete again for podiums or even wins. I thought we'd seen that in Barcelona. So after well, Barca, I was so excited thinking, okay, we've got a, a three-horse battle uh, at the front, but no. Did you not think that Monaco coming so soon after Barcelona, was, it was just difficult to get a read on it at a circuit like Monaco? So maybe yeah. maybe Canada, maybe Silverstone will get a better idea of what it's capable of. There's not enough of them, are there? I mean, you've got you know, circuits like Barcelona, they're not that, there aren't that many. Um, but his pace in Barcelona was fantastic in, in the catch-up the recovery drive that he had that was that was awesome and he was he, he definitely put i mean they would have sat up and taken note of that note of that that the car the pace has pace sorry the car has pace uh in certain conditions um but you know there probably aren't enough tracks like that so what about mclaren uh, actually damon Pinks and I had a long discussion about the future of daniel ricardo on last week's show be great to get your thoughts on a, why you think uh, the CEO of McLaren, Zach Brown, came out and said publicly that Ricardo's uh, stay at the team had not met expectations. And then what you think is going to happen next to our lovely Australian? Well, let's just... let's just. The dog's got an opinion. Sorry, the dog's got an opinion. Right. Uh, Zach didn't exactly come out with this comment just because he wanted to make a statement about how he felt about Dan Ricardo. it was there's been a lot of conjecture and, and us the media have been asking what are you going to do about Daniel Ricardo? because everyone can see that he's reached a kind of a creative block somewhere with his uh, with his performances he can't seem to unlock what he needs I know he won Monza but that was a and they showed when he gets when he gets in the lead something else fires up but something's missing and I can remember when they signed Lando and and sorry, Lando was already signed at McLaren. And then Daniel Ricciardo was signed and he came up to us in the paddock and he said, I'm going to end you. And I remember thinking that is always a risky thing to say <laughs> because it looks like the other way around that, that Daniel Ricciardo has been ended um, by Lando. Uh, he can't crack it. And then the motivation goes and then the question's come and then the pressure goes back on to the person who signed him in the first place and if there's lots of 
resources going out to pay for a very expensive driver and inevitably so he's under enormous amount of strain does that help someone go faster probably not um, but what to do about it and i'm 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 as intrigued by this as as all of us i think because as a driver i had a, i had a i got my last year of racing in it with uh with jordan i was in a similar situation i knew i was going to stop racing i um but I was 13, 39, I knew I was coming to the end of my career. So, but I couldn't, I couldn't unlock the performance and it didn't matter what I did. I just couldn't get anything out of myself. What is that all about? How can it suddenly disappear? And I think that, the, you know, with, 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 with um, Danny's only 32, so he's definitely got loads more to give. Where's it gone? How do you find it? How do you make it work in that car? And I think what makes it even more curious is what worked in Italy that didn't click before or after. Now, I know some will say, well, the front runners took each other out in that race, but actually it didn't really look in doubt. I thought Daniel just was in a groove that weekend. He looked magnificent. And actually I remember them saying, yeah, we're on for a big one this weekend as they came into it. So something clicked mm. and why can't it click again? I mean, I would, in layman's terms, you think it could and should. I don't think Checo Perez's performances this year have helped Daniel in that I think he and Daniel had very similar seasons last year in terms of getting used to their new teams, getting used to their new cars. Checo has then taken... And a, Carlos. And, and Carlos, Carlos, yes. And Checo has then taken a big step forward this year. Different car, though. I think sure, this new sure, Red Bull but I think definitely just, suits Carlos more. Uh, sorry, Checo more. 100%. But if you're Zach Brown, you're just looking at your investment thinking, well, hang on, Checo Perez can do that. Daniel is still at sea with this new car. It doesn't seem like, whatever the reason is, it doesn't seem like we're going to be able to unlock this potential. I need to do something about it. And in the seven days since we last did the pod in Monaco, I've seen Pierre Gasly's name linked more and more to that second McLaren seat in 2023. I, I don't know what you guys think about that uh, in terms of whether you think he'd be a good fit he definitely can't go up to the the big team now can he because it's uh, it's a lockout unless max leaves which is well yeah it could be good pierre needs to do a carlos science he needs to leave the red bull family to progress his formula one career and i think for him mclaren would be a very good shout well you you just don't know though i mean we all thought that mclaren would be a great shout for daniel like a, a great fit in terms of personalities it's the, the similar sort of ethos and as carlos pointed out it's not an easy car to drive and if it doesn't suit your style it doesn't suit your style i think i think gazi's an interesting one because he's clearly a very talented driver but i think that monaco was a circuit that suits the alpha tauri in principle and they came away really yeah. it was a real damp squib i mean qualifying he had a good race pulling back to what was it 11th but actually um qualifying was terrible and the, the whole weekend promised so much more so there's no doubt that he's got talent it's just difficult to make these kind of predictions if you don't know if a car and a driver will click and i've said this before on this podcast i'm a great believer in signing with his team and staying with the team and growing with the team something that i think lando's, lando's done brilliantly some people said that he signed too soon re-signed too soon for mclaren but actually i think there's a lot to be said for growing up within a team 
provided you're giving the team what they need everything's hunky-dory that's fine you can you can all go go together but when when you're not delivering and there was expectation and you know it's just like a, a love affair you know it eventually people people they feel awkward trying to help that driver and the team and you know they they know that it, the problem is the driver it's not the car because the other guy is doing a better job and that and that becomes really awkward for a competitive person like Daniel Ricciardo to, to to stomach um you know it can be kind of it just gets worse it doesn't seem to get better and that's why I think you know you you I wonder whether there's something about the nature of Formula One these days which is helping a younger generation of drivers because I think they've been used to playing computer games look at Max I mean he's on a computer game the whole time it used to be they're all going karting you know Mick, Michael Schumacher so Michael was was you know he went and did karting uh, when he had a chance the exception to that is Fernando Alonso who also goes and carts all the time um, to keep his edge but there's a younger generation who have used computers a lot more and I don't think Daniel was one of those um, those gen that generation and I think there's something about the way the cars can be driven using different parts of the brain I wonder about that I, I don't have any evidence for that other than the fact that I can't use these blooming computer games or simulators it makes me feel queasy um, but some kids don't have a problem with it and it's more to do with the signals they're getting are more eye to hand rather than uh, through the seat of their pants they're able to respond to what they're seeing and so that opens up potentially opens up a different uh, setup possibility for engineers so they can go from optimum setup which perhaps doesn't give the feel to the old school drivers as much because you look at Albon you look at Lando you look at George they're of a different generation they've they've been fed different information different training um, to some of the other guys it's just very a theory, theory just a theory I that's like very it. interesting I like it. Where does Lewis Hamilton fit in that? Well, I think is Lewis he, is, is he a gamer. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And I don't. Or do think you get to a point where you're just so good that you can do? You can well, do this, anything. Well, this is really this is really the point, isn't it? That the really good drivers can drive anything. They all could, you know. Gilles Villeneuve give, give him a really crappy car. He'll just get everything out of it. You know, Ayrton. You know, dare I say, Nigel as well. Alain would like the car to be just like this. You know, he'd like it like that. Um, but still. Um, you know the really great drivers could drive a really difficult car to drive and they'd find a way um, and I think Lewis is one of those the other thing worth noting about Gasly of course is that he finished on the podium in Baku last time out Checo Vettel and Gasly it was a hell of a podium wasn't it it was wasn't it and, it, and they were all drivers who'd been let go the previous season by their teams yeah very good point it was a bit of like <laughs> now, uh, Pinks, funny you should yes. mention Sebastian Vettel. Um, I think there's a bit of speculation about his future. Um, he doesn't know. He's publicly said, I don't know what I'm going to do next year. If, if he were to leave Aston Martin at the end of this year, and if Daniel Ricciardo were to leave McLaren, I could see that being a good place for Ricciardo to end up. It's a small... Okay, it's getting bigger, but it's still got a small team mentality. I think Daniel would be welcomed. I think his personality would light up that place um, and he would very quickly uh, get the team around him and, and they are capable of we're talking making about, a, a good car. We're talking about the Bottas factor, aren't we? Which yes! You know, we're talking about Valtteri. Bottas, go, go as, as Pink said last year. Or Bottas, yeah. 
Valtteri Bottas. Valtteri Bottom. Yeah, he's a changed man, isn't he? He's 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 laying around naked in rivers. Um, he's. Uh, He's got such he's, a wide smile on his face. He's got his own every yeah. single race at the moment. Got a whole team to himself. It's true. Making that, jokes. That's what we're going to call it now. You've just coined it. It's the Bottas factor, isn't it? We want to see Daniel go and have that kind of experience for the next two or three years and see out Formula One on. Can I just home. say this though? I would just say a, a Valtteri came from a, a top team with quite good form. You have to say, and and we are looking at Daniel Ricciardo who appears not to be able to unlock his full potential why would you sign a driver like that if I was the team manager um, Mr. Crack um, of uh, Mercedes then I would be um, you know I would be worried about signing Daniel Ricciardo so I think he has to show he can recover his form that's my my word of advice um, you know there has to be I know that Natalie was making the point about him being the most marketable driver and of course he's he's, he's great he's you know he's a real seller in the uh, in the marketing side of things but not when you're not winning that's that is always a killer you know for for any racing driver you've got to be performing and he knows he can do it it's just something in that car something they're not giving him the feeling that he needs to be able to to lean on that car and get the get the maximum out of Danny Ricardo. Okay, so we're all about to get on a flight to Azerbaijan. And I want to know just how tricky this track actually is. I remember talking to a lot of the drivers who've said that they love it because they love the challenge of it. It certainly isn't easy. There's that tricky wind, isn't there? off the Caspian Sea that can catch you out. What do you think, Damon? Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of the tracks that get your attention as a driver. It's a little bit like Macau. Um, for those people listening don't know about Macau, it used to be a, on the calendar for all our uh, aspiring F1 drivers. We'd have to go to a uh, street circuit in in um, the uh, what used to be the uh, Portuguese uh, province of China in Macau near Hong Kong. And it had this fantastically long straight called the Yacht Club Straight. And, and then you'd climb up through the mountains up the back uh, through these tiny narrow streets with no runoff, just concrete walls and everything. So very like, very like Baku, because you're running through street, a street track, but with a low downfall setup. So the car is not nailed in the same way that it would be around Monaco, where you haven't got a long straight, so you don't need to peel off the wing. But here they peel off the wing. So as I was saying earlier, you know, you some of that, some of those sections you've got the sun in your eyes and yet you've got buildings all around you as well so you've got shadow you've got difficult breaking points you've got little bumps and stuff big stops into very tight corners uh, always creates chaos and an opportunity in equal measure well and, and we and and the greats do make mistakes uh, Charles Leclerc 2019 took too much curb turning left and going up past the castle there so you have to be really precise as you say Damon and and then as Pink says it is the city of winds, isn't it? It's 28 metres below sea level. It's just got all these sort of quirky facts and things going on uh, in Baku. But it's a bit of a modern day classic. It's one that drivers really want to win because you know you've survived a battle to win there. You have, yeah. I, I, again, and against all sort of expectations, you know, it's one of those, I think... The circuits that have comp are compromised in the way that they have to build them sometimes can be more interesting than the ones that they've got carte blanche to do whatever they like because uh, you get these 
you know, we get these bits of the track where you go, well, we can't really move the castle. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to go around it that way. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it is, it is fun. It's a fun track. It's quite a long, long lap, but um, it, they're long straight. It's a straight. bit of a contradiction, isn't it? In that on paper, it's just lots of 90 degree corners, which doesn't look that interesting. But because you're taking the downforce off, as you say, Damon, they become more interesting and you i guess as a driver on a slippery track you get a little bit greedy in qualifying and we do see people make mistakes so wow yeah i'm getting i'm getting excited and actually you calling it a modern day classic i think is a really apt description when you consider the architecture of the place because you have these century old castle right next to a, a monstrosity of a skyscraper it's this juxtaposition isn't it what do they call it, actually? A, an anachronism. It's littered with anachronisms. Mm. And even the paddock. That's a good word for a Tuesday morning, isn't it? It's well done, Pinks. And, and the paddock has got the, is it the government building overshadowing as well? So Which has some... never, got, never got anyone in it. I mean, maybe they have the weekend <laughs> off, but I've never seen anyone yeah, go all, in that. They're absolute, coming to the race. But what a stunning bit of stonework. It's a gorgeous looking building. It's made out of this lovely honey-coloured stone, and, but it's all empty. Um, maybe they'll get around to using it when, we we're, not, think, when we're not there. We think it's oh, yeah, empty, it but we know it's not really. Who, who do we think is going to win it? Um, Can I answer my own question first? Go I'm, for I it. am more on Charles... <laughs> I am more, more on Charles Leclerc this weekend than I have been at any other race this year. I think it's got him written all over it. Mm. And my goodness, he needs I'm a, it. I'm... He hasn't won there, has he? He hasn't ever won in back No, and, and after two, re mm. two really disappointing races for him, he will be feisty. I just hope he can keep a lid on that feistiness and, and not overstep it and, and put it in the barrier or do something silly. But if, if he keeps it clean, Charles Leclerc for me. Ferrari have never won in Baku. Yeah, but then... That's a hell of a start, isn't but it? But then Charles Leclerc's bad luck was due to change in Monaco and it didn't. <laughs> and and uh, back on Charles Leclerc, he was brilliant in Formula 2 in Baku as well. Yeah, but something's going on it's I, i'm i'm going for sergio i think sergio is going to win i think the form book it, we, we're going to have to readjust our sights yeah i'm going to say carlos just for the hell of it get his maiden win in formula one that would Baku. be awesome that would be awesome as well pinks uh hey, damon so so checo's won it in in your race uh, what happened to max verstappen in your race i, I think he got tangled up with um with charles leclerc <laughs> and neither of them finished. Didn't finish. Okay, Damon, it's that time again. Time for you to answer some pressing questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Questions, please. Damon Hill, do you think it's time maybe you should change your approach to racing? <laughs> well, I don't know even how to start answering that question, but anyway. It's the Williams leading Damon Hill. Some more questions, please. Damon, were you happy with the start? Damon Hill, congratulations for this winning demo. You must be satisfied. Any questions? Yeah. Well, Damon, it must have been absolutely gutting that last couple of laps. Damon, it looked like he had it really under control. Some more questions, please. Damon Hill has done a fantastic job. Hi, Damon. It's Neil from Reading. After a pretty big sporting weekend with the likes of Rafa Nadal winning another French Open, Joe Root getting um, 10,000 test runs and Wales reaching the World Cup. I was wondering, these people are all now sporting heroes to some degree. Who is your sporting hero in any sport that you're interested in? So, Neil, yes, good question. Who is my sporting hero? I, and I always 
um, struggle to answer this one. Obviously, I'm my sporting hero um, to a degree. You can't say that. I can. I just did. You're far uh, more modest than that, Damon. No, but I mean, anyway. Right. Well, thanks for correcting me there, Natalie, on that. You're right. It's, it doesn't go. Irony doesn't travel well anymore. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my sporting heroes. Uh, when I was younger, um, I suppose my my dad, Graham Hill, was my sporting hero. You know, that that was an obvious one because, I, you know, I had a sporting hero as a dad. So uh, he was very much someone who inspired me in, in the other categories of, of racing driver I suppose Nigel Mansell had a quite big influence on me I, th- I liked his style I liked his uh, attacking style but in the grand world of sport what about Seve Ballesteros I mean I watched the film about Seve what an amazing passionate lovely guy he was um, and there, there, there are just so many great examples of sporting heroes who people who have maintained some sort of integrity i mean and and set these kind of uh standards for us all to aspire to um you know there's been plenty of them in sport and um i'm i'm struggling here to pick one out um, who's yours tc uh well thinking in a golfing context i was more of a bernard langer fan than a Seve ballesteros person but my ultimate sporting hero uh, would be Ian Botham. Yeah. Hugely admired the fact that he could do anything uh, with a cricket ball. And I mean, I mean, if you're talking about Ian Botham, then uh, being an all-rounder, then I also think of Shane Warne. Oh. Um, obviously more famous uh, as a bowler than a batsman, but Warney could go in and knock it around the MCG as well. So those would be my, my outside of racing heroes. Uh, inside of racing, I always think, who were your fans when you were a teenager and it was all Gilles Villeneuve and Senna and, and people like that. Barry Sheen was my, one of mine because I was, I was into bikes. So Barry was the, you know, the guy that I kind of um, aimed for. But m- before that, I suppose it was Mike Harewood. Mike Harewood was, was unbelievable. When I was, when I was very young, he, he did his Formula One career and then came back and won the Isle of Man after having been away for 11 years. And if you're into it bikes like, and cars, Damon, then yeah. what about, John Surtees. Yeah, I would say I I think I admired John. I, I a lot of people found him quite a difficult person, but you know it, what he achieved on that score was just incredible, and he was so passionate about his racing as well. Um, you know, I mean, I I you know I don't have one. I think I'm too too old now to to kind of have sp- specific or sporting heroes. I see them all in the context of people who have given everything they have to their profession and then to and then to life in the wider context you know they've so you know Muhammad Ali I saw Muhammad Ali come into a uh, some sort of event in Ireland and he walked into the stadium and just the place erupted he had this charisma um which was which was immeasurable and Pinks who was your sporting hero I have two and they actually have the same name Zola Gianfranco and Bud Gianfranco Zola I just thought to your point about charisma, was just brilliant. And he just had such a lovely way about him and obviously magnificent player. And Zola Bud was my early sporting memory was at the 84 Olympics and she didn't wear shoes to run in. So I decided I wouldn't either. And I just loved running as a kid. I still do. Um, and she was just this natural, brilliant talent, very shy. I don't know if you've seen The Fall. Have you seen the documentary about yes. her and Decaseni? incredibly moving I, I was 
intrigued by the fact she didn't wear running shoes. I drove my parents mad. Footprints all around the house because I never put shoes on. And if you don't put shoes on, you can't take them off. And so you bring muddy toes back indoors with you. Well, Pinks, what about a Formula One context? I would definitely say Nicky Lauda. And that was cemented by the fact that I got to know him before he died in the sport. But I loved him growing up, his bravery and coming back from uh, such a horrific crash, but his sense of humour as well and how direct he was. And also it was my favourite joke. My dad taught me my first ever joke was, who is the current world champion? And then he'd say, louder. And then, or you'd say louder, sorry. And he would say, who is the current world champion? The old ones are the best ones. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was, I literally thought that was the funniest joke ever. Hey guys, it's Dan from the Goldie in Oz. Damon, I'm really enjoying your random tweets about drivers having cups of tea. Can you tell me what the story is with that? Okay, so the way this happened was that there's a guy called Freeman uh, who's on Twitter who comes up with some absolutely incredible stuff from the archive um, and uh, and posts them. And there was a picture, I think it was Sterling Moss at first, drinking a cup of tea with a lovely white cup, you know, and it was not the typical shot of a driver with a, you know, spraying champagne. And he's got his race ovals and he's in the car drinking tea. And then he posted, so he posted another one of um, another driver, I can't remember it was now, um, drinking tea. And I, so I started to re- retweet them and I called them the driver tea drinking racing driver series, number one, Sterling Moss. And then the next one was, and then there was, he came up with another one of my dad as well. So there became a kind of thing. And, uh, and just over the weekend, he, he posted one, uh, of my dad being served tea by a chimpanzee because <laughs> you know, he was sponsored by Brooke Bondoxo and Brooke Bondoxo for the people who not who don't know what that was they, they used to make tea um, and so they had this campaign in, which involved chimpanzees which they don't allow anymore because it was unkind to the chimpanzees but anyway that was the gag and there's my dad sitting in his racing car and a chimpanzee with a teapot <laughs> <laughs> next to him so it's got a, it's got a bit out of control Valtteri has got his coffee but he's always in Netflix I don't know if you noticed but he's always going over to the coffee machine and having a coffee just before Quali I remember uh, Jensen used to do that yeah. as well quick double espresso before well, getting did, in the car and didn't uh, uh, Alessandro Nanini they they brought out this rule about the the, num, the amount of caffeine you can have in your bloodstream and, he, uh, and Nanini was way over the limit because he kept on having this uh, espressos before he went in his car but uh, ca- yeah I would never have Anything that made me jumpy before I got in a racing car, I know it's supposed to stimulate your, your reactions and stuff, but I don't want any more f- stimulation. I've got enough. I am more of a tea drinker. I would, I would probably have a cup of tea in a mug of tea with builder's tea with uh, one sugar. Before getting in and, the car um, or whilst sat down with your engineers after? No, just just sitting down with the engineers, you know, just having, yeah. Um, but there are beer, people who produce beer, aren't there, Natalie? There's there's some people like... Jensen, DC, Daniel, they're all involved with the beer brand out in Monaco. Yeah, and, um, but you can't drink that. And and Anne Valtteri's girlfriend. What, she's a shareholder in, in their company. Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're making me thirsty. So there's the answer to that question. You're actually <laughs> so... making me blue. <laughs> well, I think that is about it. We can't really talk any more about what is coming up from Baku and so excited that I'm actually going to be being there in Baku and coming to you with Tom and Natalie from the paddock. We'll be back in a week, Tuesday the 14th of June. 
Uh, yeah, we can't keep talking about what's going to happen in Baku because we've learned over the years that no one really knows. It's so unpredictable. <laughs> listening friends we'll see you in baku until then f1 nation is produced by formula one and audio boom studios